Hello and welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host Andrew Degler and today we are going to talk about food delivery firms. We are also going to hear an interview with Holvi and that is a Finland-born digital bank for freelancers and small businesses. First, let us kick off this episode with a recap of some of the most important European tech news of the week with our reporter Annie Musgrove. Hi, I'm Annie Musgrove of Tech EU, and here are some of the most important news stories in European tech. This past week, we've tracked more than 600 million euros in funding for European startups. The biggest deal of the week was the 68 million euro funding round for a Swiss startup, Climeworks. Bloomberg reports that Climeworks builds machines that catch carbon dioxide from the air and store it in solid state underground. It also takes the CO2 and delivers it to industrial clients such as Coca-Cola, who can then use it to put bubbles in drinks. The firm employs over 100 people in Switzerland, Germany, and the Netherlands, where it bought direct air capture technology developer NTCBV last year. A firm in Paris that has been helping hundreds of European tech entrepreneurs start and grow their startups, The Family, has been hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. TechEU has learned that the company's revenue has been decimated in almost no time as it struggled to make its global dreams come true. This forced the family to close down the physical offices and operations it established in London and Berlin, and what's worse, it will likely also need to shutter its main hub in Paris, which would become something of a staple space within the European tech ecosystem. The family's core team has now been halved from 24 to 12. However, the family co-founders apparently aren't despairing, but rather seeing the situation as a chance to make important changes in the company. Here's a quote from emails sent by Nicolas Collin to the firm's shareholders. Quote, this is how we see it. Our core business is to make deals. In other words, from now on, we want the family to be all about one business only, making deals with ambitious entrepreneurs and serving them to the best of our ability as their businesses grow. Gaming giant Zynga has acquired Turkish mobile game maker Peak for a whopping 1.8 billion US dollars. The deal was first reported by Web Brodzi and then confirmed by Bloomberg a few days later. Peak had raised only about 18 million US dollars in VC funding from the likes of Early Bird, Hummingbird Ventures, and Endeavor Catalyst. As Web Brodzi pointed out, it's by far the biggest deal for a Turkish scale-up to date. Peak currently employs around 100 people, which will all be joining Zynga. Here's another important report from Bloomberg. France is creating a fund to protect homegrown technology companies that may become, quote, prey for foreign buyers. The vehicle is to become part of France's bailout package for startups. The finance ministry has created an initial 150 million euro fund through state-backed lender BPI France to invest in local companies if they're approached by an unsolicited foreign investor. The government may increase the fund to 500 million euros from early next year. France is also adding a 100 million euro program for companies still in the research phase that don't qualify for state-backed loans, it said last Friday. Spain is about to begin drafting a 3% tax on revenues of internet giants, Reuters reports. The lower house voted for the decision on Thursday. If approved, the bill would apply a levy of 3% on the local digital revenue of companies with annual global sales of more than 750 million euros and at least 3 million in Spain, lining up with a European Union proposal on the matter. Spain's tax would only take effect if member states of the OECD reach agreement to launch a joint digital levy. 
Two days before that vote in Spain's lower house, the U.S. initiated a so-called Section 301 investigation into digital services taxes, including the ones mulled by Spain and other EU countries, and the one already approved by legislators in France. United States Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said the following, quote, President Trump is concerned that many of our trading partners are adopting tax schemes designed to unfairly target our companies. We're prepared to take all appropriate action to defend our businesses and workers against any such discrimination, end quote. The investigation could lead to the U.S. imposing new punitive tariffs. France and Germany have launched GAIA-X, that's G-A-I-A hyphen X, the country's bid to create a European cloud infrastructure ecosystem, Euractiv reports. The project is there to stave off U.S. and Chinese competitors in the data business and will initially feature 11 French and 11 German firms. Per the report, quote, the initiative will set European standards for data storage and will also function as a platform for businesses to search for data storage providers, in addition to offering a secure environment for the cross-business sharing of data in Europe. These were some of the most important tech news stories from the week of June 1st. I'm Annie Musgrove. Now back to Andre. Annie, thank you so much for this overview. I have to say a lot of interesting things are going on in Europe these days, and the ecosystem is certainly much more active than I would have expected. Now let me dive into one of the topics that has picked my interest over the week. European companies may end up playing a pretty major role in the fate of the food delivery market in the United States. On Friday, CNBC reported that two firms have approached the US-based food delivery firm Grubhub as potential buyers. And the suitors in question are Delivery Hero and JustEatTakeaway.com, both of them European food delivery powerhouses. At the same time, Grubhub is reportedly continuing negotiating a potential acquisition with Uber, which kind of creates a tense situation. So let me give you a quick overview of what's been happening to date, and then I will get to the actual news and try to explain uh, what's going on. Currently, there are four delivery market leaders in the US. Those are Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash, and Postmates. Back in May, Uber made an acquisition offer for Grubhub, and reportedly it was a stock-only offer at a premium to the current market cap of Grubhub. And to give you some context here, and the current market value of Grubhub is 5.57 billion US dollars as of the time that I'm recording this episode. In mid-May, CNBC reported that the deal was just about to materialize. The one deal we're keeping close eye on, of course, continues to be these conversations between Uber and Grubhub. Not too much to add this morning other than there was some reporting yesterday about a 1.9 ratio that Uber might have been offering here. So you sort of had a sense that it's 2.15 ask in terms of the ratio 1.9. But what I'm hearing is that 1.9... Um, 1.9 shares of Uber free share Grubhub. That may be the, the, as high as they're willing to go. It's unclear whether that actually has been made as an offer at this point. Uh, and we should know something in the next couple of days. Either they're going to be able to figure out a way to get this deal done, or my understanding is from people familiar with the situation that they are going to actually uh, end those conversations. Oh. So just a little bit of incremental information there on that, uh, on that deal. If they get it done, Jim, the question then will become antitrust, which is not an insignificant question. 
given the size of both businesses, even though they're both losing money in their respective yeah. business models. Obviously, that turned out not to be the case, as we can see now. And two weeks later, uh, after that report, that was on May 29th, Bloomberg this time reported that the sides were again very, very close to concluding the deal. Reportedly, the companies were at that point haggling over a breakup fee. And what it means actually is uh, that Grubhub would like Uber to pay a cash sum should the merger deal get blocked by the competition authorities. But Uber apparently is not very fond of the idea of doing that. It's also quite possible that the authorities won't be happy with the idea of a merger of two out of four major food delivery apps. And the critics of the deal already said that it could mean that one company, that is uh, Uber in this case, would control 90% of the market. Uber CEO Dara Kozrov-Shahi, however, dismissed this number in a recent interview for Recode Decode podcast. I do think that this market is much broader than some people are presenting it to be. Right. Uh, restaurant okay. uh, restaurants deliver directly. Domino's, et cetera, delivers directly. Uh, grocery is delivered directly, including hot food, et cetera. So I think that I would disagree with the definition of market. This market just got bigger. Like we're getting into grocery as well, uh, both organically and inorganically. So I just think that this delivery of food and essentials to homes is an enormous market. And I don't see anyone or any two having 90% of that market. It's way too big a market. There are way too uh, many players getting in. According to the calculations of Business Insider India, uh, the real market share of the potential joint venture uh, is upwards of 50%, which is still, I have to say, a number that by all means should get the authorities' ears pricked. Now, enter Just Eat Takeaway and Delivery Hero. Both companies are well-funded and certainly very eager to enter the US market. Both have a market cap of somewhere between 15 to 17 billion euros, which is about three times higher than Grubhub, and both are no strangers to market expansion through acquisitions. JustEatTakeaway.com, in fact, is uh, itself a result of a recent merger between the Dutch company called Takeaway.com and the UK-born Just Eat. You may remember this news uh, coming uh, this January. And another interesting fact, two years ago, a Delivery Hero actually sold its German operations to, whom do you think, Takeaway.com. So there is quite some history going on here. Now, both firms reportedly have approached Grubhub with acquisition offers. As far as I understand from the reports, Uber's offer is an all-stock one, while at least one of the new offers from the European players includes a cash component. From the regulatory standpoint, of course, an acquisition by a European player is much more likely to get green light than a merger with Uber. At the same time, two unnamed sources of CNBC said that Uber is still confident it can get a deal done. So this is a really interesting story, and to end this segment, I will quote TechCrunch's Alex Wilhelm talking about the deal from the American market perspective. The quote begins, If one of the European players does absorb Grubhub, it could set up a newly energized multi-way struggle to bring food from where it's made to the homes of consumers. Uber Eats against Grubhub and its new owner, against Postmates, against DoorDash, that would be an expensive dust-up. So expensive, in fact, that perhaps Uber will cough up more than it wanted to for the asset just to avoid having to fight a newly energized Grubhub, powered by cash from its new European parent company. The quote ends. So that's one more story to keep an eye on, which we certainly will. 
Now that's enough of me talking, I guess. Uh, let us move on to the featured interview of this episode in which our founding editor Robin Wouters talks to Antti Suominen, CEO at the Finnish fintech startup Holvi. So hey, this is uh, Robin from Tech.eu. I'm here uh, joined remotely, of course, uh, over video conferencing call by AJ, who is the CEO of Holvi, uh, which is a Finland-born digital bank for freelancers, self-employed and small businesses. AJ, thank you so much for joining us remotely. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about you and your role at Holvi, please? So my name is 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 Antti Suomen, and people do call me AJ, especially foreigners who... Uh, who have a problem with my longer longer first name, but uh, I, I joined Holvi uh, in 2017 after the the acquisition of Holvi by BBVA in in March of 2016, with the mandate to scale up the acquisition across different markets in uh, in Europe. And uh, prior to to joining Holvi, I I've, I've been working in in different uh, corporate startups. So most of my life, I've been building new business. In, in larger organizations and uh, so always the the odd man out the, uh, the the new business guy and happened to know some people um, uh, from BBVA who thought that after the the whole the acquisition that it would make sense for me to to join and uh, and uh, they convinced me and uh, I'm really happy for that uh, been been lead, been leading Holvi since 2017 and it's been really 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 uh, an interesting and uh, an exciting uh, job so far yeah i can imagine i've known holvi for a while i just mentioned to you before we started recording that i was at the christmas party for holvi back in december 2012 which you know with all the talk about digital banks now with all these neo banks coming up uh, holvi was sort of one of the pioneers in europe i remember because it was started in 2011 if i if i remember correctly um how much do you know about the history because you joined uh, a few years after of course how much do you know about the history of holvi well i have been uh Sort of hearing stories, especially from Tuomas Toivonen, who who was one of the founders, and uh, and I know sort of the the, the milestones of uh, of Holvi, where it where it sort of got started, and and why it got started, because uh, the guys themselves were were micro entrepreneurs and uh, and freelancers, and 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 noticed that that getting their finances done was just very very difficult to impossible, and uh, and they wanted to to help out people like themselves to 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 actually stay on top of their finances and to be able to you know pay their bills and uh, and and follow how their their money is going where it's going and where it's coming from and uh and and so so basically the the the, the big milestones uh were the 2014 uh, payment institution license uh that they got from uh, FinFSA among I guess the first and uh, and and then slowly uh, but certainly uh, sort of surely running the, the services first in Finland then in Germany Austria expanding outside of Finland and uh, and that's kind of when I joined after the BBV acquisition so yeah uh, so you mentioned the BBV acquisition which happened now almost four years ago almost to the day uh, that it was announced uh, you weren't around uh, yet but do you know what led to the you know eventual acquisition well I think that uh, that uh, since I wasn't there, I can't really tell for sure. But I, but I, what I've heard from BBVA is that they were looking into, into the, the sort of fintech scene and, uh, and 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 trying to understand how how you could scale and grow uh, in a in a particular segment. And uh, and and 
Holdi happened to sort of be in a in a very very interesting segment for them, the the the, the freelancers and uh, and uh, solopreneurs that they've been looking into. So it kind of fit that bill quite nicely. And of course, one of the things that makes Holdi uh, special in the BBVA context is that that it's completely outside BBVA's footprint. Um, so, so that was another thing where where they looked at the the, the possibility of of rolling out uh, business banking um, across Europe in in places where they don't have uh, presence yet, retail presence yet. That makes sense. Um, one of the things I've always admired about Holvi is that it stayed very, very close to its roots. So what it started out with as a digital bank for freelancers is still very much true. But uh, how does that translate into actual products and services, which I guess have, have largely evolved over the years? Um, so how would you describe your, your current offering uh, in a nutshell? So you're, you're absolutely right about staying true to, to, the, uh, to the sort of founder's uh, idea of uh, of, of basically giving um, the promise of, of spending much less time on your finances with our uh, service and, uh, and also staying on top of your ins and outs. In other words, being able to see in real time how your income is developing, you know, you're sending your, your invoices out and following the, the, the payment of those invoices. And at the same time, looking at your, uh, at your expenses uh, using the MasterCard to pay for those expenses, categorizing the, co- the, the the expenses and then sort of seeing where your money is going. And all of this being collected digitally uh, into the service so that you can then with the press of a button send it to your accountant. And, and I think that that the, the service in itself has not gone far from uh, from the, the the kind of the jobs to be done in order to, to to stay on top of your finances. What we've done very recently is we've launched a service where you can actually get the bookkeeping also on top of the uh, the, the business banking. Uh, so through a partner, we're we're all, we're selling what's called holiday bookkeeper in in the Finnish market, where where you get all of the uh, all of the reporting to authorities also done and and get that peace of mind. Is that the service you're also going to roll out in different markets? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's it's first rolled out in uh, in Finland, but but it, we're going to follow follow with uh, with rollouts also in in other markets in due course. Sure. Um, one of the things you've also recently done is uh, launch in the UK, uh, which you know with the whole Brexit story and then the very very stiff competition over there was quite a a courageous decision. Uh, how's it gone so far? I know it's only a few months in, but how's it going so far? I think it's going according to plan. So what we're doing is is we're testing different uh, marketing approaches and, uh, and and looking at our funnel, uh, measuring uh, sort of uh, carefully, you know, the conversions and all of that before we we then uh, start um, uh, marketing uh, heavier. But I, I think everything is is where we thought it would be, and uh, and the competition is 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 of course uh, tough in in the in the UK market, but we. And uh, when I've spoken with some of the some of our uh, fintech friends in, in different markets, we all seem to share the opinion that uh, that there's a, there's more than enough of these freelancers uh, who need a better solution than what they currently have. So so we're only scratching the surface uh, with uh, with the current uh, acquisition. So the, the really the big uh, competitor or the uh, the 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 big obstacle uh, is is getting that awareness to our customer base or potential customer base that that we are a viable and better option than uh, what the existing high street banks are and uh, and then so therefore i'm i'm convinced that the fact that that there is uh, more of these uh, fintechs uh, offering similar services in the uk helps build that awareness and uh, and uh, there there isn't really at least i haven't yet found a 
a sort of a winner takes it all uh, uh, dynamic in the market. Uh, so there's there's more than uh, more than enough for everyone to uh, service. Yeah. So when it comes to this go-to-market and this spreading and raising the awareness about the services uh, such as Holvi, uh, does it help being part of BBVA? Uh, does it actually make a difference in the way that you market it? Do you market it as part of BBVA, for example, or is it completely auto autonomously run? So we are currently completely uh, a separate entity. We have our license from uh, from the, the Finnish uh, regulator so we're operating under our own license and we're also operating under our own brand and that's a that's a sort of a, a decision that was made when uh, when the company was acquired that we continue to work that way and uh, and I think that it helps us uh, in a number of ways it helps us be more agile in terms of uh, of uh, of uh, making the decisions based on 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 what's happening in the in the uh, different markets and uh, also helps us build our own sort of unique brand um that that we believe uh, fits quite nicely with uh, with the with with our customer segment uh so we're very very uh, happy to be part of the BBVA family uh but uh, are operating quite independently of course there's a lot of exchange of information and knowledge around things like control and compliance and uh, and things that they you know they know very well and 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 can help us uh, get better but uh, but otherwise uh, from a business point of view we're we're running independently um can you paint me a picture of uh, what the company looks like today in terms of the number of people where you have offices uh, i yeah. guess in euro in europe only for so far yeah I, it's it's one of the things that that really gets me excited when i start talking about our people because uh, we we have over 30 different nationalities in the company and and they're they're really a great bunch uh, i i always say that 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 we have good people good people in two ways good people because they're experts in what they do and good people because they share the same good values that we have in the company and uh, and i always uh, like to point out also that these people who have left their 32 respective uh, homelands are 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 not typical of their particular culture because they're the curious ones they're the ones who wanted to go out and see see the world and uh, and learn new things and you can really see that in the company culture people are very welcoming to newcomers um you know you see see somebody come in and uh, in a in a couple of days they're already slack pictures of of guys sharing a beer somewhere or going to to a syrian restaurant in in some uh, part of helsinki where where the guys from syria are kind of showing their culture uh to each other uh, or to the other uh holy members and uh i i think that also in the you know in the in the all hands that we have we get a lot of questions people are really interested and engaged in the in, in how the business is doing how we can help our customers even better so there's a there's a really this this kind of Everybody wants to learn more and uh, is is really eager to to develop, and I, I think that that's something unique that I haven't in my in my career yet uh, experienced. Similarly, that's great. Um, but how many people are you in total now? About 130. We have offices in Helsinki where most of the people are, and and then we have a, a growing office in Berlin, and then we have a few guys also in Madrid. Nice. We cannot have an interview like this in March 2020 without talking about the current crisis, of course. Um, how is it affecting you as a company in terms of the daily operations? Has it changed a lot about how you, you know, work internally? To some extent, it has changed quite a bit. Uh, but to to another extent, it is going surprisingly well. And uh, and and what has changed, of course, is that we pretty early on 
actually uh, asked our people to start working remotely uh, just because we were sort of anticipating that uh, that that we did not want to have a a sort of a, a systemic crisis of for example our whole control team all of them you know getting sick at the same time and uh, and and being out of play so so first we went into shifts that we had half of the people remote and half of the people in the office and then pretty soon when it when the uh, the, the 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 crisis started developing we we said that everybody goes remote so of course that is a big change to the normal culture of people being in the offices. However, the the thing that I'm uh, I'm really sort of positively surprised about is is the kind of engagement uh, that we've been able to have while people are working remotely. So our our development sprints are going along um, quite nicely. Our customer service uh, is getting uh, good feedback from customers. They're being available and, and and so forth. So so and 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 then we're 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 trying to figure out all kinds of uh, ways to engage uh, when, you know, when being remote. So we have, um, we've scheduled these, these joint sort of huddles where people, people come to the, um, to the video call without any particular agenda, just to discuss things, you know, how are things in Berlin? How are things in Helsinki? What does your pet look like? Uh, you know, uh, things like that, or, you know, some, some of the people are having every, every, um, day at two o'clock, a planking session where everybody planks together and we have yoga in, uh, on Friday, remote yoga on Friday mornings and stuff like that. But I, I think that so far it has worked quite well, uh, surprisingly well, but of course there are the, the issues of people having small children and trying to work at the same time, you know, th- that everybody's, uh, everybody's suffering from and, uh, and, uh, we just have to, have to weather this through with, uh, with our, uh, customers. Yeah. As someone with two small children, I can relate. It's very painful sometimes. Um, but, but I was also going to ask, like, how is it affecting you as a business externally? Because of course the market is getting pounded. Your target group of freelancers, small businesses in particular is going to have a really, really tough time, um, you know, going through this. So how is this affecting you in terms of demand and, and, and business? Well, of course, we're following this very closely, uh, every day and, uh, and, and we have seen some decline uh, already in in transactions and uh, and uh, uh, in, uh, in in different parts of the funnel but I'm expecting things to get worse before they get better just because people are being held inside in in, in sort of inside their their apartments uh, you know we have customers who are yoga teachers or language tutors or 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 um, or some sort of health professionals, you know, personal trainers, and of course their their calendars are are, are emptying out, uh, and, uh, and and they won't be able to make their uh, their uh, revenue. So so of course that's going to affect at some point. But uh, but let's hope that uh, that it turns out better sooner than than later. But of course our segment is going to be hit by this. Uh, uh, by this um, crisis and, uh, and, and we, as I said we just have to weather it out with them yep on that note I think I'm uh, going to leave it at that uh, I, I wish you all the best with the company of course and the same for your customers uh, stay safe and sane and healthy the same goes to our listeners by the way uh, but thank you so much for taking the time AJ and uh, best of luck with everything thank you Robin thanks bye
And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word. Tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at techEU. I am going to talk to you on Thursday in our new special episode. Until then, enjoy your week and take care. Bye-bye.